As has already been said, Advent means arrival, and we are, as a church, joining with the chorus of other churches, uh, where we are attending to the text from the common lectionary, and we are looking at different parts of scripture that helps us, that helps us journey through uh, this Advent season, where we are anticipating the arrival of, of the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in the church calendar, this is the beginning of time for us, the beginning of time for us as a church, because this is, this is the moment when it begins. This is the moment where, where Jesus comes onto the scene through his birth, and it's as a result of his birth, of his life, of his death and his resurrection that makes the church possible. Now, while the rest of the world spends its time searching, grasping, and acquiring other names, other meanings, other identities, Advent reminds us that this is our story. That this is where our identity begins and ends. That we as a church need to remember that Christ has come and will one day come again. So the moment this morning in scripture that we, are, that we are brought to is this moment in Luke 1. Now, of course, we've heard this story. We've heard the story of the angel coming to Mary, of pronouncing to Mary that, that she is going to be having a son and, and who this son will be. And again, it might be something that because we've heard so often, we don't feel the weight of the story. But every year we take a risk as a church. We take a risk to hear this again so that perhaps God might remind us of what's true about us. That God would remind us what's true about who he is as revealed in the person of Jesus. And so as we look at this story, the story of, of Gabriel coming to Mary, which is, in, which is known in, in, in church history, throughout the church, as the Annunciation, this announcement of what is going to be taking place. That's where it begins, and then our story concludes with what's known as the Magnificat, the, the Song of Mary. Now, as we look at this pronouncement, this announcement of what's taking place, and as we move toward the song that Mary sings, um, I want to look at five parts of this story. I want to look at five parts of this story that I think could become a window, perhaps to how we are to think about our lives as Advent people. And the five parts of the story um, are these, a declaration, a question, a promise, a response, and a song. A declaration, a question, a promise, a response, and a song. So first, a declaration. And if you want, you can turn, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke 1. That's where we will be. Now, as we know, Mary is visited in Nazareth by the angel Gabriel, and this visit wasn't expected. I mean, who expects to be visited by an angel? Let alone Mary, this woman, this teenage woman. She refers to herself later as the, as the lowliest of servants. Nothing could have prepared Mary for this visit, which is why Gabriel, of course, tells her to not be afraid. I mean, to be visited by angels wasn't something anyone could expect 
or get ready for or even necessarily want. There's this, there's this, this fear, there's this trembling that comes with being in the presence, even if it's not the complete presence, a taste of the presence of God. But then Gabriel, after declaring her favor in the eyes of God and then reminding her of God being with her in verse 28, the angel Gabriel shares why he's come. If you want, you can look at verse 30. He says, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So this is a declaration that Gabriel gives to Mary, a declaration of God making good on what was long foretold about the kingdom of David and the people of Israel. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. It says this, when your days, and this is, this is a, a, a God speaking to the people of Israel, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. So God is doing what he said he will do. He is, Gabriel is saying, that which you and all of Israel have been waiting for is happening now and through you, Mary, and through the son that will be conceived inside your body. God will establish his kingdom. Now let's not miss the wonder of this reality because the story is so familiar. I mean, think about this. The way in which God chooses to establish his kingdom will be through the very human and fragile reality of childbirth. I mean, the way in which God, the powerful God with his powerful kingdom is going to make it manifest on earth is through the very human and fragile reality of childbirth. I mean, the reality of conception the reality of, of childbirth is, is, is fragile. And so many of us, so many of you know this all too well. You know the fragility that comes with trying to conceive. You know the fragility that comes with actually trying to carry a baby full term. You know the fragility that comes with even giving birth to a child. There are no guarantees. And yet God in his power in coming to us on earth chooses to come in this way. In this very human and very fragile way. I mean, the power of God is displayed through the fragility of humanity. And we see that in this declaration. And this declaration is a window into what has been announced and declared to us now in 2020 as God's people, as his church. What Gabriel said would be taking place in the person of Jesus, the one who will be conceived in the body of Mary, the one whose kingdom will have no end. That declaration is also a declaration for us. There will be no end to his kingdom. There will be no end to the kingdom that has come in Jesus. I need that promise. We need that promise. See, standing on this side of Christ's birth, life, death, and resurrection, and on this side of his future arrival, 
This is always the promise. Through Jesus Christ, God has established his kingdom and his reign has begun. God has established his kingdom and his reign has begun and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is true in the face of 2020. This is true in the face of a pandemic, of politics, of the realities of injustices. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is true amidst all of the strife and doubt and dissatisfaction and frustration and grief and anxiety and depression and sin that we find ourselves in and we can't seem to get ourselves out of. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Because God has chosen to act in the person of Jesus, God has established that kingdom. The kingdom has come and the kingdom is now. God is on the move. And God has not stopped moving until that future arrival when all things are made new. And the kingdom in all of its glory will be established and there will be no end to it. So we see in the story a declaration. We also see a question. Because this incredible news that Gabriel gives to Mary about what's going to be taking place in her body and through the son that will be conceived, she has a very obvious and reasonable question, which we see in verse 34. But how can this be? I am a virgin. How can what you say be done? How is any of that possible? How is any of that possible in my body, in my humanity? I mean, Mary's almost saying to Gabriel, like, I know you're an angel. And I don't know how things work in like the heavenly realm. But biologically here, things need to happen a certain way. And um, conceiving of a child is only going to happen a certain way. So I don't know how that's going to be worked out. Gabe. And, and we see this incredible, incredible response from Gabriel. But let us not first pass over the question, how can this be? How is this possible? Okay, you say this is what God is going to do. But how, considering the circumstances? How will any of this work? And I think this question is a window into the questions that we ask. Okay, God, you say these things. You say that you have established this thing. You say that you have come and you will one day come again. You say that, that your spirit has been poured out upon the church. You say all of these things. All of these things are going to, to happen about new creation, about new life, about chains being broken about prisons being broken down and people walking free. But how can any of this be? How is any of this possible? Mary's question is often our question. And the question, how can this be, is a window to what we as a church still wrestle with and still ask in the face of this wonderful declaration of what God is up to. 
But then we see Gabriel's response, and we see a promise. We have a declaration, we have a question, and then we have a promise in verse 35. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. Now notice the details of this promise to Mary's question. The promise is not that Mary will have the means or the power to make any of this possible. The promise is that if she just is somebody different, or if she just goes a human way, then all of a sudden she will be able to do what has been promised to her or what has been declared to her. No, Gabriel's promise has everything to do with God's activity, God's initiative, God's power. Again, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. See, the promise is that God is up to something. And because this is God's acting, there is possibility. Because the Holy Spirit is involved, everything is different. Because Mary's body and life will be overshadowed by the power of the Most High, that is what makes this kingdom, this future, possible. What we see here is the impossibility of humanity meeting the possibility of God. So we see that God's power, God's kingdom comes by way through human fragility, and then we see God's power on display through human impossibility. Human impossibility is overshadowed by the possibility of God, which makes new things happen. And this is a window for us into what has been promised to us as God's people, as the church. As the church, who as we see in Acts, the Spirit comes upon. And the people, the church is overshadowed by the power of the Most High. And then all of a sudden, there is a, there is a new birth. There is a new creation. And what couldn't happen, what wasn't possible because of human means is now possible because God has acted, because God has initiated. And this means that the church, the, the spiritual life, that life with God, that life lived with Jesus, isn't about what we're capable of as Christians. It isn't about what we're capable of as a church. This is about what the Holy Spirit wants to do through our very humanity, through our, our, our being God's created people, through our being God's new family. And so this promise spoken to Mary becomes a window to the promise that God makes to us and the promise that we need to hold on to as we find ourselves in between God's two arrivals and Jesus. And this has always been the story that we as the church have to tell. 
that on our own account, nothing is possible, but with God, things are possible. That is the only story that the church has to tell. That is the only story that the church has to tell in 2020. That is the only story that I, as a person, as an individual, has to tell in my life. And my story is one where the Holy Spirit has come upon me and where I want my life to be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. That image of being overshadowed by the power of the Most High is a beautiful one. And it's one I want to hold on to. What would it look like for us as Christians if our lives were overshadowed by the power of the Most High? What would we look like as a church if our lives were overshadowed by the power of the Most High? So we've seen a declaration, we've seen a question, we've seen a promise, and now we're going to see a response. We're going to see Mary's response to this promise. And it's, of course, one of the most beautiful responses, perhaps in all of Scripture. Verse 38, Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then we see the angel departed from her. And let us not lose the wonder of this moment. The initiative and activity of God is met with the obedience, the surrender, and the trust of this woman, of this teenage woman. Gabriel speaks this promise, and then Mary's response becomes one of complete and utter openness. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. It becomes Mary's yes to God. And this response is then a window into the response that we, as God's people here now, have been called to. I mean, Mary is the church's here in this moment, the church's ultimate example of obedience, of trust, and of surrender. That we would be people who in response to God's initiative, in response to his promise, would say, here am I. Here am I. Let it be with me according to your word. And we are called to that same posture of obedience, of trust, and of surrender. So Mary's response becomes a window to the response that we are all called to. How does that sit with you? How does that sit with you to be a person who in response to whatever God might be doing, no matter how surprising, no matter how mysterious, you'd say, here am I. May we be a people, may we be a church who live into that response of trust and of obedience. So we have a declaration we have a question, we have a promise, we have a response, but we also, here in the story, have a song. So the story moves to this song, this incredible song that Mary sings, as if to say that, that, when, that when God's power and presence 
is discovered through humanity's fragility, when the possibility of God is on display through the impossibility of humanity, the only way to make sense of that is through a song. That when the Holy Spirit meets the humanity of Mary, it wells up within her so much so that she can't help but sing. And as we look at this song, starting in verse 46, which you heard read this morning, you can't help but see that Mary's focus is on God. The subject of this song is on God. The verbs of what's taking place all connected to God. This has to do with what God is up to. This has to do with what we see God doing in this new thing, in the person of Jesus that's connected to this old thing, to the story that's already been told for so and so long. Now God, as the subject, as Mary describes in verse 47, is a savior. In verse 49, we see he is the mighty one. Again, in verse 49, we see he is holy. In verse 50, we see he is merciful. In verse 51, we see he is strong. In verse 54, she names him as a helper. In verse 55, she describes him as a covenant keeper. This is the subject who is called God in this song, who we see revealed in the person of Jesus. And as the song goes, we see that when God meets the flesh and blood of humanity in the person of Jesus, it means everything is changed. That it actually makes a difference and has significance in the flesh and blood realities of life. In verse 48, because this is what God is doing, because this is who God is, we see that the lowly in verse 48 are shown favor. In verse 51, the proud are scattered. Verse 52, the powerful are brought down and the powerless are lifted up. In verse 53, we see the hungry are filled with good things. And again, in verse 53, we see the rich are sent away. So if we think that the, that the story of Christmas or the story of Advent is just of heavenly significance, then we've missed it completely. For Mary, what has been declared, what has been promised means that everything about life will be different. Here, the people of Israel have been waiting, have been waiting for this mighty one, for the Savior to save, for all of a sudden the scales to be removed, for those who are high will be brought down, those who are low will be lifted up, those who are hungry will be filled. That The person of Jesus means good news for life, for the life that is actually lived and experienced. So as we are people, as we are people defined, marked by Christmas, marked by the beginning of what God is doing in Jesus, it means that it has a real life and real world significance because his kingdom has come. His kingdom means something now. It means something now in the face of our lives. It means something now as we experience all that is going on, all of the grief and the heartache and the pain it means that our joys, it means that our celebrations are connected to what God is doing in Jesus as God's people who find their significance and identity and story in the person of Jesus. It all begins and ends with what God is doing and who God is. God is the subject. 
God's spirit is meeting. God's presence is meeting humanity. And it means that the world is altered. The world has changed. Our world is different. Reality is different. Something like a song is what happens when humanity is met with the presence and power of God. And this song is a window into the song that we, as God's people, have been given to sing. Consider that for a moment, that the church, a place where God's presence, because of Jesus and the ongoing power of the Spirit, where God meets humanity in our lives as we are overshadowed by the power of the Mighty One, that we then as a church become something like a song, something like a song that tells the story about who this God is, whose name is Emmanuel, that is with us. And we sing this song. We sing this song in the way that we live our lives. And here's the question, are we open? Are we open to the Spirit of God wanting to sing a song of hope through us, through our lives? Are you open to the Spirit wanting to sing a song of hope and dare I say even joy through your life? Are we as a church open to the Spirit of God wanting to well up within us a song of hope and of joy in a world that so desperately needs it? That is what the church is called to do. This is what the church is called to do. To get at some of what this might feel like, I'd actually like to show a three-minute video. We're going to cut to it in a minute. And this is made by, by um, the Valle Symphony Orchestra in Spain. So to give a little context for this video, because I actually think it really kind of gets at this Advent idea, this Advent sense of, of what we are called to as a church. Um, there, this, this orchestra, the Valle Symphony Orchestra in Spain, um, did something like a, an orchestral flash mob. An orchestral flash mob in Spain, in the middle of the city, where they're performing Beethoven's Ode to Joy. Now, you may have seen it. That was in 2012, and that's when the video was made way back when. But then they wanted to recreate something in 2020. They wanted to recreate this sense of, of what took place then, in the present moment. And so then they created this video, which becomes something like a video form of a flash mob. And in this video, as they are putting together this, this piece, the Ode to Joy, they are referencing the past of when it first took place in 2012. They are giving a new rendition of it in 2020 in the present. But also in the video, they're pointing to their hopes in the future. And so as you're listening to this song, as you're listening to this, to this music, I'd like you to be paying attention to those different elements, how they point to the past, this rendition in the present, but also 
how they're trying to offer some hope for the future. When the power and presence of God is on display through humanity, when the possibility of God is discovered through the impossibility of our humanity, it might be something like that. Something like that video. And I'm curious to know what, if any, thoughts or even feelings you had about watching that. Some of the most moving parts to me of, of that video is, is when they're cutting to the past, um, but they're also in the present, holding up, holding up cards or signs or pieces of paper that, that are their hopes for what could be, what will be in the future. And I think that is a good picture of what it means to be an Advent people. And it makes me wonder what truths and promises of God might we as the church be called to hold up in this moment? How might we as God's people who've received this declaration, who've received this promise, how might we be people even in spite of the questions? Be people who respond in faithfulness and learn to sing a song of hope. And again, dare I say, joy. What promises about God would you want to hold up if you could write them down on a paper and hold them up in the world? What would you want the world to know about what has taken place and what that means for the present? and the ultimate hopes for the future. Because as a church, as a people, as a person, we are called to be a song. To be a song in a world that so desperately needs to hear it. A song about God. A song about what happens when God's presence meets and comes together with humanity. A song about the hope that is offered to us because God is a God who initiates and acts and keeps good on his promises. A song that is a song of hope because God has not left the world to its own devices, but has come into the world that it might then be transformed through humanity, in the midst of impossibility. What does it look like in 2020 to be this type of song? What song of hope, what song of joy is the Spirit wanting to sing in your life? Or what song of hope and joy is the Spirit of God singing in your life? I just want you to know I need to hear your song. We, as a church, need to hear each other's songs. Now, that song might take the form of a prayer. It might take the form of a story. It might even take the form of a Zoom call or of a conversation. That song might take, take the form of a, of, a, of a text message, of a work of art that perhaps you create, like a painting or a photo or a poem or an essay. Maybe that song is something like a shared memory that you share with others, but it's a song that points to the very 
activity of God. The one who is mighty, the one who is merciful, the one who is a helper, the one who looks on the lowly, the one who lifts the lowly up and it brings down the powerful, the one who fills the bellies of the hungry, the one who sends the rich away. What song is the Spirit of God singing through you? Because we need to hear each other's songs of God's faithfulness, of his goodness, of his mercy, of his power. I know I need to hear it. And so I'm actually asking you to please share it with me. Whatever that song might be, whatever that song of hope or of joy might be in your life, please share it with me. Please share it with somebody. Email me, truly. Perhaps you've, you've Perhaps God has been doing something in your life and you need to tell it. Perhaps God has, has, has spoken to you in some very, very real ways, in some new ways, in some fresh ways. And you need to tell it. But not only do you need to tell it, we need to hear it. We need to be people who learn to sing this song together, this song that God makes possible because what he's done in the person of Jesus And I want to say it doesn't need to be a finished song. It doesn't need to be completed. The thing that, that, that Mary does in this song that's so beautiful is, is, is it takes up all of history, all of time, both what has come before, what is happening now, and what will be. And sometimes that means that, that the things that the Spirit of God is up to in our lives, they're not completed, they're not finished. We find ourselves in a certain place. We're not called to just share songs when they're completed or finished. We're called to share in one another's songs, in what God is doing now, so that we might be reminded that God is with us, that God is with you and with me. And then together, as we are a church who, who lives into our identity, who lives into what God has made possible in the person of Jesus, I want you to know that the world needs to hear the hope that we have. The world needs to see those pieces of paper that we hold up that point to the truths about what God has done in Jesus, what it means for the present, and the hope that we have in the future. That's what it means to be an Advent people. To be a people like that song that we saw becomes a disruption in time. And that points to something beyond itself. That's what we as God's people are called to be. That's what it means to be an Advent people. And so as we are here on our last Sunday of Advent, I want you to consider, I want you to consider again the declaration that God has made that he has established his kingdom and of it there will be no end. I want you to consider the question that Mary asks, how can this be? It may be a window to the questions that we together continue to ask, especially now. I want you to consider the promise about the power of God's spirit overshadowing, overshadowing us. I want you to consider the response 
of a complete and utter trust and obedience and surrender. And I want you to consider this song that is sung. This song that is sung by Mary that becomes this meeting point between the Spirit and the person of Mary where God makes possible his presence on earth. And that is the presence that we, as God's church, continue to carry, continue to embody, and continue to bear witness to. So may we as a church learn to sing together well in our life together, in our individual lives. And may we point to the God who is faithful and of whose kingdom there shall be no end. Thanks be to God.